Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian. Yes, sir. We have a powerful, powerful show lined up for tonight. And this is one I've been waiting for, I think, forever, Brian. (laughs) I guess she's going to kill me, but I've been waiting on this one. The the reason I've been waiting on, on this one, Brian, is because of the timing. Everything is based on timing, and mm-hmm. Brian, it's her time now. It's her time, and a lot of people are listening. We have a ton of people listening tonight, and what you're going to hear tonight is sometimes it may not be your season right now. It's not saying that it's not going to come, it's not going to happen, but it's just not time yet. You have to wait. It's coming, but you have to wait. And that's the hardest part of it, Brian. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of times when when you, when you know you're supposed to have something, a lot of times you try to rush it. You know, you try to get it to where I need it now, right now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait till next week, you know. But I know this. there's a saying, good things come to those who wait. And I want to say that I also believe that good things happen to those who wait patiently. Mm-hmm. And where's your faith? Mm-hmm. Where's your faith? We were all given the same amount of faith. Just some of us decide to use it, and she, our guest, Brian, she used it. And I know she was knocked down. I know a lot of people turned their back on her. I know that her business struggled at some point when she first got it off of the ground. And I know, Brian, she probably wanted to just throw in the towel, towel and walk away. And you know what? A lot of her friends wanted her to fail. A lot of people didn't want her to be where she is right now and where she's on her way to. And the thing about it, Brian, they're, they're called haters. Mm-hmm. But the reason they're hating on her is because they can see the finished product. They can see that she's going to reach her goals and her dreams. Because if they didn't see that, they wouldn't be hating on her. Absolutely true. You know, and a lot of times people see the greatness in you and they get jealous because they don't, because they're so busy looking at the greatness in you that they can't find out where the greatness in them emanates from. You know, so I would always say, you know, if you want to see greatness, look in the mirror. <laughs> Brian, I'm ready. I'm ready to bring, I'm ready to bring our guest on. Let's, let's just bring her in so we can, we Absolutely. can get ready to go. And if you have a pen and a pad, Trust me, you want to take notes tonight. All right, we have on tonight live our special guest, entrepreneur and best-selling author Tracy Michelle Lewis. She offers to those who can hear her speak or read her writing an authentic experience, mm-hmm. an opportunity to explore, identify faith and purpose at the deepest level. She serves as an adjunct professor at, professor at several universities, and she also holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in communication from the University of Kentucky and an MBA. See, the sister is sharp. That's right. An MBA from Montclair State University in New Jersey. And she maximizes her unique mix of creative genius and business savvy by being the owner and managing consultant for her own Lewis Consulting Group. And that's a Philadelphia-based business and educational consulting firm that provides business writing services, professional development training seminars, and small business consulting to businesses, nonprofit organizations, churches, schools, and individuals. And she also has an she's the author of the book Interruption: The Gospel According to Crystal Justine. We welcome tonight, Miss. Tracy M. Lewis. Good evening. 
Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm I'm so glad to be here, and I heard you, Greg. I heard you, and I know it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 time. Um, I was so, I mean, I was just overjoyed when you sent me this uh, message. I'm ready, and and I'm just so <laughs> glad that you're here. And um, I received a lot of emails. A lot of people sent me messages from Facebook, MySpace, and just you know, people just responding to the show and you coming on the show. And a lot of people, when they see your picture and they see what you're doing, they see all the greatness, but they don't know all of the 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 hell that you had to go through to get where you are right now. They don't know all of the hard work and all of the the things that were coming against you. They they don't see people don't see that part. And when they try to do something to start a business or anything that they're trying to do, they run into that, and a lot of them stop, but you didn't. So I applaud you for being that obedient one for everybody else to see how it's done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. And and to, to stay on that, what were some of the roadblocks that you had to overcome to get where you are right now? Wow. Um, if you'd asked me that question maybe two or three years ago, you, we probably would have got um, a bunch of different answers, um, something totally different than today. Uh, two or three years ago, I probably would have pointed outside of myself. I probably would have said, you know, this person or this thing or this industry, you know, would ha- is stopping me or is not allowing me to pursue, you know, what I feel like God has given me. Today, I would say that while some of that may be true, um, some of my biggest obstacles and my biggest challenges came from inside myself. I love the fact that when you were talking earlier, you were talking about running ahead of God, because if I'm honest, which I, you know, I try to be, um, a lot of the things that I was doing, you know, while God had told me or had given me, you know, these great ideas, these great concepts, he wanted me to do them in his time and not my own. And I had to learn um, sometimes the hard way that, you know, his, he sees all and he can see a lot further ahead than I can. And so me running ahead of him, either running too fast or sometimes even running too slow, um, puts me in a, you know, out of alignment or out of position for how he wants things to get done. And so today I will say that, you know, it's easy to point at the haters, and they do exist, and it's easy to point at an industry, you know, and say the publishing industry just doesn't want to hear what I have to say right now or what the Lord wants to say through me right now. It's easy to do that. But um, it's harder to check yourself. It's harder for you to hear it and for you to say, you know what, um, I'm getting a little ahead of you, God. Yes, you've given me purpose. Yes, you've given me this vision. Um, but how do you want me to walk this thing out? And I think so my answer today is that many of my obstacles, whether it was the failure of my magazine, uh, whether it was, you know, issues around my business, any of those things, um, were a lot of times a result of me moving ahead of God instead of moving with him. Mm. Now, you know, you said that, and a lot of people would agree that a lot of times it's us, that, you know, it's always something that we either are doing or aren't doing that holds us back, you know, but I would also ask this question, you know, were there some people in your way? Were there some obstacles that weren't just, you know, mental blocks in your mind, but were there some physical obstacles that you had to get around or go through? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I I don't say all of that that I said before to say that, oh, I never, there was no obstacles or there was no people that were standing in my way. You know, there were plenty of obstacles and, you know, what God has given me to write about um, is, uh, is, can be challenging to the body of Christ, can be challenging to people in general, and so it's not going to appear to sell well. Um, So when you're dealing with an industry that's about, um, especially the publishing industry, that it's about um, sell, sell, sells, or, you know, giving the people what they want versus what they need, then, yeah, you run into those types of obstacles. Um, there have been people in my life um, that uh, weren't quite too, too, weren't quite sure, I guess, of what I was doing um, and the, 
the persistence that I had in it um, and questioned it um, and caused me a lot of times to question myself. Um, but um, I had to come to myself um, and be persistent and, and pursue um, things as long, again, as long as it was within the timing and within the alignment of what God had for me. Mm. Wow. You know what? <clears throat> I'm getting I'm getting um, messages already. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I want to mention so I actually would like to mention something because Greg, if you remember, um, you know, I had a book that I I had was going to put out on fear, right? Um, and everybody was waiting for this book on fear, um, and I was working on it and I was writing it and I had projected dates as to when it would be released and you know those who know me, those who you know have you know are friends of mine or associates of mine were waiting. When is the book on fear? I want that. And, you know, I'm just giving you an example of kind of not walking in the timing of God because um, the reality was is that I was writing about something at that time um, that God had yet to bring to completion in me. And so I was ready to go to press for something that God was still walking out in me. And in the meantime, you know, I had the second book in my gospel series brewing in my spirit that God wanted to press, but I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to go my own way. And so, you know, that's just one example of how we can, you know, the big picture is God's called me to write, he's called me to speak, he's called me to be an entrepreneur, he's called, that's the big picture, and I know that. I know what I'm called to do. But when we get into the details, that's where we get out of, out of alignment with God sometimes. And I, I think that's, you know, just an example in my life of how that's happened. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think everybody wanted, was waiting, I was waiting. I, I was one of the ones I made <laughs> contact you about it. But mm -hmm. you know what? The, the beautiful thing about it is you didn't do it. You waited. You still waited. I mean, you still were obedient. You 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 know, and, and you may have been a little bit impatient. But I think a lot of people are there right now. And and in mm -hmm. uh, dealing with that, how did you deal with that? Um, so that others that are going through that are being impatient, they want to put themselves ahead of God, and they think that He's telling them to do that. I mean, how did you deal with that? Well, the first thing that I realized was talk to him. I, you know, I, I really think that, you know, sometimes when we deal with our relationship with God, sometimes we, 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 we keep him in like a little box almost, you know, as if he could fit in a box. You know, when talk to him, create, you know, the relationship that you should have with him. Have that intimacy with him where you, ex you know, he's, he is familiar. The word of God says that he's familiar with how we feel. He walked in our flesh. You know what I'm saying? So he understands, you know, those emotions that we have. So when I was upset because my magazine didn't work out or when I was crying because, I, you know, I was stuck at a certain particular point in a book, you know, I would talk to him. I would pray with him, you know, and then I, I, do, I do have a strong circle of friends and that pray with me and that, you know, that I can talk to that were, were able to support me and hold me up. So for anybody who's listening that may be at that place um, where they either feel stuck or they feel like things are not working out or they feel like that maybe, you know, that maybe they got it wrong or they hurt, talk to God first, you know, and talk to him you know, tell him how you feel, but be open to hearing him. And then also it's important to have a support, of, a support group, a supportive um, group of people around you that can hold you accountable but also pray with you and comfort you when you need, to, when you need it. Mm. You know, and I, and I wanted to ask you this. Um, when, when you were crying out, when you were with your magazine and you were going through with that, when you were crying out, did you think uh, he turned his back on you? Did you think he just wasn't hearing you? Because most of the times when we cry like that, it's like I guess we do it because we we feel that we're just out there alone and we're afraid and we're angry because I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do what you tell me to do, but the means aren't there. Did you Did you feel that he just wasn't listening or he just wasn't talking to you at the time? Well, you know, it's, it, there's, there's two separate points that you're making there. I never believed that God turned his back on me, but there were times, that, you know, again, being honest, where I, I felt like that he wasn't hearing me. What I learned, I heard someone say not too long ago, 
that even when I think, you know, I even wrote it in one of my blogs that, you know, even when God is silent, he's speaking, you know, and because what we view to be silence is usually, and not all the time, but usually, you know, you're not giving me what I need right now. You know, you're not giving me what I think I what you think what I think I need actually. You know, and so God, why is this happening, Lord? You know, please stop. You know, I, I'm doing all that I can, and really, it's coming from a place of, of you know, I want, I want. You know, I'm trying. I, I, I. When really, it's not coming from a place of surrender. What do you want? Okay. You know, this is obviously, you know, either this is just a momentary, temporary obstacle or this is something that you're trying to say to me. Okay, what, you know, what do you need for me to do at this point? What is my next step? Order my steps, Lord. We, you know, we, we got it kind of twisted a little bit because, you know, on the one hand we're saying I, 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 and, and God said, okay, you know, and I think that's where sometimes that silence comes from because it's, we're still in the place of I instead of, you know, surrender what he wants for us. You know, I also think a lot of times it may be that God knows you aren't ready to receive what you want. Wow. <laughs> you know, you... sometimes we might be saying, like you hear the people always talk about, oh, if I had a million dollars, what I'd do with it? Yeah. You know, and God is like, you're not getting a million dollars to mess up your, mess yourself up with. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they ask for it so much that God gives it to them and then you see the result. Brian, you have hit the nail on the head. And and the perfect example I can give that from my life is that um, sometimes God takes time to equip you so you can be ready when it when it so when it does become your time or your season, you will be um, he can trust you with whatever it is that he's going to give you. You can ask for a million dollars, but if you can't handle the forty thousand a year that you make. You know, then there's a discrepancy there. So what he'll do sometimes, I believe, is that he will spend a period of time in your life and what we call a weird wilderness or what we call as, you know, you know, the downtime of our lives. But really what he's doing is he's equipping you. And it, that's why it's important for you in, the, in those times to be, to be diligent about what you're doing. You know, I never stopped writing. I never stopped, you know, researching and learning because I, what he was doing is he was feeding me and he was equipping me so when the time came, when my season came, I will be ready to hit the ground running because he has given me those things. When I wrote the first installment of the gospel series, the gospel according to Sasha Renee, um, I, you know, I thought I was going to write this Christian kind of what they call chick lit um, book or whatever, I didn't know that, you know, five years later the sequel to this book would, would delve into generational curses and how we sometimes carry the things that belong to our mothers and our grandmothers and our fathers and our grandfathers and how we have to get free of a lot of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that, but in that five-year period of time, God used my own life and he used my experiences to equip me. So then by the time the second book came out, the, the whole nature of what I'm writing about has changed. And I would have never written about that five years ago if I asked God for a book that's going to sell or, you know, all of those things that are kind of happening for me right now. Awesome. You know, I, I want to touch on that preparation thing. I, I, I talk with a lot of people. And one thing that's so important, and you and Brian hit it right on the head, is that preparation. If you're not prepared for something, Trust, I, you could take this to the bank. He's not going to give it to you because he's not going to put you in a position where you can fail. He's not going to overwhelm you with anything because that's one of his promises, that he will never put you in a position where you can't bear it. So if if you're a writer, you need to educate yourself and prepare for that book. How are you going to deal with the, the media and the press? And, and just like we are talking with Tracy tonight, I'm sure she's got plans, and she's working on plans for her next move and that type of thing. So she knows where she's going. When you know where you're going, you're preparing for everything that pretty much is what's going to happen. And, Brian, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, what is the mountain that everybody is always going up? You know, they prepare to go up this mountain. You, you know what I'm talking I think it's Mount Rushmore, I believe. Mm, and, it, it could uh, be Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Rushmore. 
Yeah, bunches my, of them. Yeah. <laughs> my point is, a lot of people prepare to go up that mountain, but 85% of the people that died, they died not going up. They died coming down because they wasn't. They didn't prepare. Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't prepare to come down. They trained to go up, but they didn't prepare to come down. Mm, so they reached their goal, but in coming down, they lost their life. Mm. So that's good stuff. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's amazing how we get so frustrated with him, and we don't invest in ourselves. And that's what you're doing. You're investing in yourself. And a lot of people will invest in other things and their friends when something happens. They'll call their girlfriend, they'll call this guy, and they'll ask him for his opinion. How can you go to someone that is a creature when you can go to the creator? The creature can't tell you he's not the creator. Right. He can only give you his opinion. But And, you know, another thing, Greg, is that a lot of times – people get their signals crossed. And what I mean by that is that they're in a place, they're, they're doing what they believe the Lord has told them to do, and they start to feel uncomfortable or uncertain or unsure or weird or it, it doesn't feel right. And what I've come to realize is that that is the, the pivotal, pivotal, pivotal sorry, moment before the breakthrough. Usually God can usually God pisses you puts you in a place of being uncomfortable or uncertain right before you walk into your season, and that's because it's it's a training ground to 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 put you in a place of total dependence on Him. So usually, when you begin to feel that way, you actually should rejoice. You actually should be very very happy because it's it's at that raw place of uncertainty. Is at that raw place of discomfort. Um, I know prior to this book coming out, I just felt really, really tense and really, really weird and uncertain, but everything that I was writing felt like it was just passing through me as if, you know, I, I wasn't even writing it, you know, but at the same time, I was still unsure and uncertain, and I would read excerpts to folks, and they would say, oh, oh my God, I was moved by that, and I couldn't feel it. I, I felt I, I, I almost felt detached from it in a, in, in, in a lot of ways. But the reality was is that God was telling me that I needed to depend on him for my words and that he's given me, you know, I've done the work. I've, I've studied my craft. I've, you know, done all of the sort of the things in the natural. So now he wants to add the super to it to make it a supernatural experience for me. And that, you know, that I think people get their signals crossed because when they start to feel that way, they stop. And unfortunately, they stop right before they're about to walk right in their season. It's almost as if the Israelites stopped right at the River Jordan and never walked into the promised land, you know, and they were right there because of what seemed to be a little discomfort or uncertainty. Well, you know, if you remember, they walked in circles for how many years? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, but I was going to say, you know, in my experience, I've, I've, I've come to find out that, and I've come to know, actually, that a lot of times the thing that you're not feeling, you're not feeling it because it's not for you to feel. <laughs> See, when I've gone through things in my personal life and in my professional life, at first I didn't really understand why I had to go through that. You know, how come I didn't get the same experience that the other person got? exact thing, they got a completely different experience out of it. They may have gotten a better experience than I had. Then God just started revealing to me, the stuff that I have is for you, and the stuff that I have for them is for them. So you might be doing the exact same thing. It's going to be a different feeling for you because the part that I have for you, that's what I want you to feel. And you know what, Brian? When I've, when I've gone through those moments, you know, I, I had to actually, you know, check because I, I you know, I struggle with um, – Selfish ambition, you know, I, and I, I can readily admit that, that ambitious nature in me to go after and be, you know, persistent, which, you know, on the surface, when we kind of look at the way the world sees it, that's a good thing. But when that selfish ambition gets out of hand, it takes you out of alignment with God. But I think what I have to ask myself when I get in those moments, when I go through things and I'm asking myself, why me? The question really is, who, who am I for this not to occur? You know, 
Like, you know, that I am, you know, and that's not a, uh, that's not a self-esteem issue. That's really just understanding that God is going to be using that experience in me for something, you know. And a lot of times we say, well, why me? Well, why not you? You know, and, and usually the, those tests that we go through are for something, and ultimately we hope that it's for a testimony. Transparency. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people uh, don't like to talk about. They don't like to talk about that ugly thing that happened to them. They don't like right. to talk about that, that those, those nights when they were a little girl and being uh, just not knowing if he's coming in the room you just don't know, and if he does come in the room, you're just waiting for uh, that morning to break so you can get out of there, where you, you, you can't tell anybody. There's so many ladies that are dealing with that right now, and, and so mm-hmm. many women are in uh, uh, violent relationships and marriages, and now that they're coming out of that, they're keeping it, they're embarrassed about it. They won't say anything. They won't tell anybody. But guess what? Somebody's out there that they need to hear what you've gone through so that they know that they can make it just like you did. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think that's the reason why I, I write, you know. I think, yeah. you know, that a lot of people always ask, well, is Sasha Renee you or is CJ you or is that is that part of your life? And I don't think any writer, you know, especially writer of fiction, I would, I'll, I'll say, um, I don't think any writer can say that they are not pieces of them. And I think that the way that I am able to use my writing to reach people, because in this in this book there's there's issues of uh, sexual abuse, there's issues of self-esteem, and it's because you know having to endure certain things. I I know that I can put these into my characters and have them resonate with those who are going through them as well. So um, I think that that's how I find my find my channel to release a lot of the things that, you know, or my way of being transparent, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you did you ever ask the question when you were going through when you're in the valley and you're hurting, just, why does everything have to be so hard for me? Why can't my <laughs> life just be just like my friends? Like why can't, why do I have to hurt? Why do I have to always fight and fight and fight? I'm, I'm tired of fighting. I'm ready for my dreams to happen. Why? Why me? Why did you choose me to go through this? Of course, of course, I've asked those questions. I, I, I of course. I mean, I, I would, I would be a straight up liar if I said that I never asked those questions. But you know what? I, I hear back from God. Why don't you talk to your friends? Because a lot of times we say, well, why can't I have somebody else's life? And she doesn't seem like she's going through something. And we, or, or we covet, um, I was just talking about this not too long ago, but we covet other people because of what we perceive that they're not going through versus, and we compare them to our life. You know, we have it so hard. Why do they have it so easy? And the reality is, is that you don't know what another person is going through. You don't know what their journey. You don't know what it took for them to get to that place of peace that you're looking at them and saying that you want, you know, because it may have taken them a hard journey to get there. You just don't know. But, yes, I have absolutely have asked those questions um, in, in my life about, you know, why did I have to go through this or why did I have to go through that or why can't I just, you know, write a book and sell millions of copies, you know. And the reality is is, is, is really examining your purpose. What is your purpose, wow. and where, where, what is God going to use your purpose for? You know, because it may not be, you know, as much as you may want that, it may not be to sell a million copies of your book. Mm-hmm. That's a hard reality, especially for every writer out there who, wants, who has this, the great American novel, as they say, and it thinks that, you know, it's so easy and they're going to write it and it's just going to explode and it's going to become the next. It's not to say that God won't do that for you. I just read an article about that um, on the Master's Artist. About it doesn't mean that God won't do that for you, but really examine your, the purpose of what God has called you to do. I talk to my writers' workshops about the differences between being a writer and a scribe. If you look historically at what a scribe is in a monarchy, a scribe was required to write the decrees of the king, meaning that the scribe had to hear what the king was saying and then translate that for all of the world or all of the, those who were under the kingdom to be able to understand and sometimes adhere to whatever the decree happens to be. Now, there's a lot of people who go to school to be writers. They're journalists. They do a great job. They're excellent at what they do. But when you are called to be a scribe, that means you need to be 
close to you know, and that there's a different requirement for you as a scribe um, in terms of being able to hear um, the voice of the king, know the heart of the king, and being able to write in such a way so that the people in the kingdom would be able to hear and the people who are not in the kingdom would, would adhere to what the king is saying. And in that case, you know, a lot of the uh, Christian writers um, kind of get it twisted when they're, they're thinking about writing versus being a scribe. You know, they're more on, okay, I want to sell a million books, I want to do this. Yes, know your craft, know how to write, you know, know where the period goes, know where the comma goes, know what plot is, know how to, know all of that things. You, you want to do it in excellence, but at the same time, understand what the call is that's on your life and how it is different from those who don't have it. Now I'm just going to say, <laughs> Go ahead, and I just sent Greg a message, I was like, that was deep. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I never... I never would have thought of it that way, a scribe versus a writer. Wow. You know, I, I've been uh, checking out your website here, and I see <laughs> that you have on here, you say, just a few clients. But you've got quite a few clients. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm looking at some of the things. I want to kind of highlight your business. You know, mm -hmm. you're the president and CEO of Lewis Consulting Group. Mm-hmm. And I want to say here, let's see, you do writing services where you uh, help people with their strategic plans and their business plans, RFPs, that's really big now. People are trying to get money for their businesses. Oh, yeah. Everybody um, wants stimulus money, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, some of the other things you do, hi, huh, Greg, here's one, effective workplace communication. Greg and I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, conflict resolution, which is very big among our youth right now. Right. Um, and this new thing that's come out, especially in light of 9-11, and that's the diversity and cultural competency. You know, mm -hmm. and I want to talk a little bit about that one because Greg and I have been approached on occasion uh, where we've been asked to talk about race relations and, you know, how to mediate racial conflict. You know, and I know in, in, in my lifetime, I've been, you know, and, I, and I'm not ashamed to say this, I've been a purveyor as well as a recipient of forms of racism, whether sure. it be verbal or nonverbal, you know. And a lot of it was a learned behavior because I saw everybody else doing it. I figured I'd do it too. And a lot of it was born out of anger because of what had been purveyed on to me. Right. So my question is, in this day and age, how important is it to be culturally competent? Well, I think that it is critical to be culturally competent depending on how you define it. And what I mean by that, um, what I was actually asked to do, where, where that kind of came from is a, a, a local medical clinic here um, in the hospital field, as we know, there's a lot of disparities, health disparities in terms of health care, uh, particularly with minority African Americans, Hispanics, um, Asian communities are a lot of times not getting the health care that they need. So they have these mm -hmm. cultural competencies for doctors, for um, behavioral specialists, mental health specialists. And so I was asked to come in to do um, a cultural competency training. Um, and one of the, the biggest pieces that I think we miss because it's, it's easy to teach people about each other. It's, I think it's easy for folks to learn, okay, you know, this is cultural and this is not. But it's not so easy to get them to celebrate it or to embrace it. Mm. And I think that that's, that's the critical piece. Like, you know, what I always say in my workshop is, you know, I'm a 33-year-old African-American woman from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, if you look at me as anything else other than that, then you're missing some wonderful, beautiful things about me, about my culture growing up in Kentucky and uh, in the South or Midwest, wherever you want to place Kentucky, um, you know, growing up, you know, as an African-American, as a woman, you know, as a woman growing up as an African-American in the suburbs, you know, all of these different components of who I am. Um, if you try to negate them, which I think a lot of times in our effort to be tolerant, we try to negate parts of people, 
and we miss opportunities to really experience them fully. So when you talk about cultural competency, I really define it, define it as being uh, celebrating someone or embracing all the parts of them, all of the things that are about them um, that make them who they are. And so in that case, it is absolutely in this day and age critical for us to do that. You know, I mean, we have, we, we can't, with the Internet and with the, with the age that we're living in, we can't live in silos. We can't live in this kind of one way, you know, kind of because the cultures are blending too much. You know, if you look at music, if you look at, you know, just society, um, I won't even go on into the whole Obama thing, but, I mean, you know, too, too much has too much change has occurred for us to kind of have a silo way of thinking, what I mean just thinking about our own. But at the same time, we have to go one step beyond that, and that is to embrace and celebrate, you know, the things in folks that we see, you know, the things that make them who they are. And I think that's the hardest step that we have to make. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'll tell you another reason why I asked that question, because – I see a lot of our youth, and you're right, the cultures, the cultures are starting to blend so much that a lot of times the youth won't embrace their culture because they've seen the media portray their culture as being something negative. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, again, I, I, and I ask the question because I think there's somebody, I know that there's somebody out there now that may be dealing with you know, that particular issue of, you know, should I embrace my culture or should I just let it go? You know, some even in business, you know, and that's one thing I found being an African-American male, even in business, I have to sometimes not give people the whole gist of who I am culturally for fear of not being maybe selected for that position or, right. you know, I mean, I can I can remember having a conversation with somebody, and I was telling them that um, I have a nephew named Ray Ray, and they laughed. And I'm like, <laughs> well, his name is, he's Ray Jr., but we call him Ray Ray, you know? Right. <laughs> and um, actually, he's not even my nephew, he's my cousin, now I think about it. And, my you know, my little cousin, he grew up calling me uncle, and that's how he got on it, because I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and... Even my little cousins called me uncle. And I said, even now, sometimes he'll slip and say, Uncle Brian. But they thought it was so hilarious. And, he, and the guy says, I didn't think that black people called themselves those names anymore. <laughs> you know? And I was like, what do you mean by you didn't think that they called themselves? I said, don't white people have nicknames? <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah, but you you won't hear us calling them calling each other nicknames out, you know, out around people. Those are sort of like pet names that you may get from your mom or something like that. But you won't hear everybody calling, you know, you, him Pookie or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, wow, you know, I never thought of it in that light because, you know, again, I didn't grow up uh, not knowing how, you know, I'm not, I didn't grow up in that particular culture. Right. You know, I grew up in a culture where, you know, if your name was Ray you was, and you were a junior, you were Ray Ray. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of times mama would say, that's mama's Pookie, and everybody would call him Pookie because mama called him Pookie. <laughs> and he would and, grow up and not really know his name was Fred or John because mama <laughs> didn't like that name. Or, you know, or maybe mama didn't like daddy, and that was daddy's name, so she called him, that's my Pookie. Well, you know, I think when you talk about cultural shifts, um, I think what has happened is is there's a lot of overlap. I mean, the reality is is that if you walk into any scenario, society, whatever, you know, where there's a dominant culture, you know, then there is going to be some compromise that you're going to make. So when you're talking about going into the workplace, you know, and having to kind of hold back some parts of yourself, to me, to be honest, that's no different then, you know, Johnny, you know, who is a Caucasian, one of our Caucasian brothers, walking into Rockaware, you know, and trying to get a job. 
I mean, there are going to be some things, or in to vibe, there's some things, because even though that's a microcosm of a culture, it's not the dominant culture as far as society, but that is a culture in of itself. You know, when he walks into Rockaware, when he walks into Vibe, when he walks into these different places, there's some parts of himself that he's not going to show because of the dominant culture that he's in. So I think in anything you're going to have those cultural shifts. Um, I think the the problem that I've seen that young people is being able to navigate it effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to be bilingual, being and when I say bilingual, that's not necessarily meaning a foreign language. That's just meaning being able to maneuver through the different overlaps that come, you know, in all the different cultures that they walk that we walk through. So I think that's probably the one of the toughest parts for young people is just knowing when to to do A versus B. Yes, being yeah. able to adapt to the, the environment that they're in. Do sure. You, in your through your workshops and your seminars, uh, do you reach out to youth and try to teach this type of, of, of very important thinking that they would need? Well, you know, if there's anybody out there who would like to bring me in to talk to the youth about it, that would be wonderful. <laughs> but most of my, <laughs> you know, I have to throw that in there, Greg. But, okay. you know, actually most of my cultural competency and diversity work has been in organizations. So there have been adults, uh, business organizations that have been adults. I, I, I've worked with young people on other topics, uh, other issues, leadership, you know, purpose, destiny, those types of things. But as far as the actual cultural but I think some of that may come up when you're talking about leadership and when you're talking about those things, but not to the degree that we're talking about here tonight. Right, right, right. But if for, for a company that's looking for, to bring someone in, Mm-hmm. With with all of your experience, with with all the things that you bring to the table, what what can they look for as far as um, a workshop or eight hour workshop or two day workshop? What 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 do you have to offer them um, that will help change um, the, the the work environment or help change that in the individuals or give them a a, a better uh, look at at life or to, to change and and, and Okay. Um, usually the workshops are, particularly when we start talking about diversity and cultural competency, are half-day or full-day workshops. The thing that I think is different about my workshops are that I tend to be very actively in your face. And what I mean by that is that I have an expectation that the things that I'm teaching and that I'm sharing, that we actually put them to work in the classroom. So that it's not so much, okay, I learned a bunch of stuff, I wrote it all down, and I threw it in the back of my car when I leave the workshop, and I never touch it, I never um, have any way of acting or modeling it out. Um, So what I like to do, one of the things that my or uh, businesses or organizations my clients get is that they can trust that these, whoever's taking the course, are they going to actually get some real-life practice, a lot of role-playing, you know, role playing, modeling, and I actually use them to, to give me the scenarios, okay? Like, for instance, my one client who, you know, work, works with um, those individuals with addictions or behavioral issues or mental health issues, you know, I ask them early on to give me scenarios that they come across. Um, one African American counselor um, primarily works in an Asian American um, or a Pacific Islander community, and so there's a lot of um, barriers that she comes across. And so we took that scenario and we actually walked that out. So they have now a point of reference that if they ever come across these situations of bringing somebody in, they have a way or a point of reference to act or walk that out. So I think that's sort of I structure my workshops that it's really it really is a workshop. It's not a workshop in name and only. It's not just a seminar, but it really is. We want to take the principles and work them out um, so they have something that they could actually use um, in everyday work environment. Awesome, awesome. Now it also says here that you work with small businesses as well as K through 12 education and church ministries. Let me ask this question, because the first thing that popped up into my mind when I saw church and ministry is, how how difficult is it to break down barriers 
in the church. And when I mean barriers in the church, uh, Greg and I, we do uh, a lot of well, workshops, stuff like that, with churches that pertains to HIV and also abstinence education. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we've learned, and especially I know I've learned it, is that when you go into a church, there's an expectation of you uh, that's put on you by sometimes the pastor, most definitely by the, the, the pew members, that you are going to come in there and teach and preach the gospel, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to give the, uh, people anything uh, other than what the book says. Now, I'm not an opponent of that. I agree that you do need to give them sound biblical principles, but there are some things also that you can uh, give the people without being too preachy. You know, and I know in, in, in when I used to go to churches, I used to almost, like I can recall one time where I almost literally had to battle with, the pastor and the first lady of the church during my presentation <laughs> because everything that I said, they would say, I don't believe that's true. <laughs> and, of course, who are they going to listen to, me, the person with the information, or their pastor? You know, and I had to tell them, well, pastor, you know, you're right in a sense because statistics are just that. They're statistics. The statistical numbers are based on what they can survey people from. So, in a sense, you are correct. Those numbers are not accurate. But they're based on what we have, you know, statistically found out. And right. then he goes on to say, well, I don't believe in statistics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, why was I invited to this place? <laughs> you know, but do you do you usually find that there are a lot of, Barriers, not necessarily, you know, because of you being indifferent to the word, more so because people don't understand the word that you're bringing them. Right. Um, I think that there's some of that. Um, And I can actually think of two scenarios where um, that has come to play. Um, I think where you're in the – I'm very clear from the gate. I'm not a preacher. (laughs) I'm not a prophet, you know, but God has given me something that I think is critical for the church to hear and for your congregation or your group or your ministry or whatever it is to hear. Um, One scenario, um, actually myself and another consultant, a partner that I work with, we did a customer service training for a church. (laughs) And, you know, okay, we have the ushers in the room and we have, you can almost kind of think about how that's going to go. Because we're talking about hospitality and the importance of, you know, providing good. And and, and essentially we brought in basic business principles, you know, and we took that and what we were able to do was kind of overlay that over what God says about being hospitable. Um, And there was some pushback or some concern, but I think overall, you know, they they got it. And, And that was one situation where I felt, you know, there was some some concern, and I think that any time that you're convicting someone, any time you're challenging someone or confronting them to be better um, or forcing them to think differently about something, you're going to get resistance. You know, so my goal is to try to make them as comfortable as I possibly can with what I'm saying without changing what I'm saying, and that's that's very hard to do sometimes. Another instance was I um, – Uh, spoke at a conference, and the title of my workshop was Marketing Your Ministry to a Multicultural Audience. And I I, I tell you, I'm an African-American woman. Anyone who knows me, I have locks down my back. You know, I'm not the, you know, probably what people would consider the the prototype um, of speakers, so so to speak, particularly with this audience. I mean, this audience were baby boomers, about 99% um, white, southern, um, you know, probably as far away from me as possibly as possible in terms of just demographics, you know. And I, I did my presentation, but what I was blessed by was I had a, um, a preacher, a pastor, come to me afterwards, and he said, you know, he said, uh, I, I have a church in, in Memphis, and my church is 99% white, and I want to thank you 
for challenging me because Memphis is 75% African-American, and I don't want to have to stand before God and ask why, you know, why that is or why is it that I didn't penetrate the market that I was in, the place where he put me. You know, why does my church look a certain way in a city that looks another kind of way? Thank you for putting that on my plate, you know, and that blessed me so much because I was so scared walking into that audience, and I was so, <laughs> you know, like, you know, wow, you know, Lord, just, just speak through me now. And it really, you know, to this day I, I've gotten emails from folks that were really blessed by that. Again, an audience that was far different, and you can feel some of the resistance. You can feel, okay, you know, she doesn't look the way I would like for her to look, and I don't think she has the same doctrine or the same theology. I'm not a fan of tradition. Everybody who knows me knows that. You know, I, I have a tendency to book tradition, and tradition has its place. I think traditions, in, in, you know, by themselves are great, but I think people are bound to tradition too much to the point where they're not open to hearing what God may be saying today you know, versus what he was saying 20 years ago to a different people at a different time in a different area for a different purpose, you know. And so I think that, you know, I think those were just a couple of instances where I felt resistance, but I was able to overcome it. But, yeah, I mean, I I really don't know how to answer that except to say that I have experienced it and, you know, it's tough. But, you know, if if you're walking in purpose and you're there to do what you're called to do, then, there's really, I think the end result will always be positive. Great answer. That's what I was going to say. If you're going there to do what you're supposed to do, you know, and and you hit it right on the button. I mean, that was one of the things that I struggled with when I first started going out. But then I started saying to myself, you know what, I'm not here to, to please everybody. Uh, if you call me to do this, I'm going to do it. And if you don't like the way I do it, then... You know, maybe you shouldn't call me anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing, too, when, uh, and, I, and I know exactly what you're talking about, Tracy. By now, we've gone into jails and prisons. We know, ooh, we, we know, we know. But the beautiful thing about all of it is, is God promised us that if we would open our mouth and have the courage to go out and open our mouth, he will fill it. He'll give us the words. And we have to be, you know, we have to know that. We have to remember uh, that that is a promise that he he made to us, but we, we we're running down on time. But I really wanted to get into your new book, the Gospel According to Crystal Justice. What what talk to us about that? Oh, I'm so excited that you asked that. <laughs> uh, this book, man, for those who don't know. The Gospel According to Crystal Justine is actually the second book of the Gospel Trilogy. The first book came out in 2004, The Gospel According to Sasha Renee. It was really about a story about a woman. Uh, it was, it's really a story about redemption. Um, Sasha Renee, she tried to live her life on borrowed faith, and we've heard that before, um, the faith of her mother, her friends. And as a result of that, she really struggled with all of those things that I talked about earlier, fear, insecurity, and she made bad choices. And as a result of her choices, she made consequences. Um, so in the midst of God redeeming her, she still had to pay the consequences for her actions. So in this new book, it's Crystal Justine, and CJ, for short, is Sasha's daughter. It's 25 years later, and her story is, is actually not so much about redemption. It's more about deliverance. She knows the voice of God, um, but she finds herself acting out some of the mistakes of her mother and her grandmother. It's really about sort of the generational, especially as women, we, we know that when we find ourselves doing a thing or we look at generations of women in our family and maybe every generation has been divorced or every generation has dealt with sexual abuse or every generation, you know, a lot of times some of that are choices, but some of that is a spiritual attack. And so in this book, it was a lot more challenging for me because, you know, I had to write from both us from the spiritual realm as well as the natural realm. We see all the things that she deals with in her relationships, et cetera. But at the same time, you're introduced to Natas, who is the head demon of a legion of demons that have been assigned to the women of this family for generations. And he has been assigned to attack to prevent them from fulfilling their destiny. And so the reason why the book is called Interruption, because the question comes, will CJ be the interruption in her bloodline? Will she be the one that stops this curse? Will she be the one that actually fulfilled the destiny, the promise that was given to the women in this family a long, long time ago? And so the book is just, 
it has just blessed me so much, and I'm just my prayer is that you know everyone who reads it goes out and buy it, you know that they will be blessed by it. And the third book actually takes you back in time, and you actually see where it all started to uh, CJ's grandmother and Sasha's mother. So it's just it's just it's it's just a wonderful place for me right now. Like it really is my time when it comes to this writing, and and I'm just so blessed that God gave me this. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to stay on your book because. I think people will definitely be able to relate to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they definitely will see a part or a piece of either themselves or someone they know in the mm-hmm. book. You know, but what compelled you to write the first? I mean, I know what you got. You got the first and the second, but what compelled you to write this series, this trilogy? Well, you know, I, honestly, five years ago or six years ago, when I was writing this story. You know, I knew that I, I it's, it goes back to what we're talking about. Sometimes God equips you for stuff that you never dreamed of. Because I started off writing the gospel according to Sasha Renee, and I, you know, I wanted to write about this fly girl from the south side of Chicago and how her journey towards faith and her issues along the way. And I wanted to incorporate romance and all the things that happen in everyday life, but I wanted to do it in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord, but also that people could really identify and grab hold to. That was where I started. And now, five years later, as I look at this, you know, the whole piece when I began to write CJ last year and I began to, the story started coming to me, I realized that this is not just about her daughter and what she goes through and kind of like rehashing the same stories of a different person. This is about, you know, some of the same things that, you know, that I carry in me that maybe my mother has and that my grandmother has and my great-grandmother has, and really looking at that from a spiritual perspective. And when I began to do that, I mean, God just really took over this book. I can't explain it any other way. I mean, this book was originally supposed to be four books, and, you know, I, it got reduced down to three um, because I, I, I felt like that that's what was needed to tell the story. But, I mean, I think I've grown as a writer. I mean, anybody who reads Sasha and then reads CJ can see the significant difference in my writing, just writing skill and ability. But above and beyond that, just the depth of it, the plot development, all of that, I just think that, you know, this this was really a God-ordained project because I didn't start off with it going as deep as it's gone. And that's really the only way that I can answer you. Okay. Well, I want to start off by saying thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I want you to please give out your contact information for the listeners who may want to get in contact with you for speaking engagements or also to get the book. Sure, sure. Um, you know, everyone can go to my to my blog. Um, my blog, there's actually a trailer for the book on the blog as well as information about you know, the upcoming launch with anybody's in Philadelphia area. I'll be this Saturday signing at CLC Bookstore at 4 o'clock. Um, you can go to TracyMLewis.com, TracyMLewis.com, and that has all that information there. If you want to email me directly regarding my writing, you can reach me at New Season Books. How ironic, Greg. New Season Books <laughs> at gmail.com. Or if you want to contact me regarding the consulting business and, and you're looking at workshops, you know, I go all across the country. I'll, I'll go out of the country if you want, if you want to pay for it. <laughs> um, LewisConsultingGroup at gmail.com. So it's LewisConsultingGroup at gmail.com, NewSeasonBooks at gmail.com, um, TracyMLewis.com. Um, you can hit me on Facebook. You can hit me on Twitter. I'm doing the whole social media thing. Um, but, you know, I am open. I will respond to you. You know, if you have a question, you have a comment, you have a suggestion, and if you'd love to purchase the book, because I, I have my, market, my book marketing hat on right now, so I would love for you to support this project. Yeah, awesome. All right, and where can we get the book? Say that again? Where can we get the book from? Um, you can get the book online. You can get the book um, in your local retailer. I have distribution through Baker and Taylor. So even if it's not on the shelves at Borders or Barnes and Noble in your neighborhood, you can just go to the counter and they'll order it for you. Um, you know, you can also I prefer if you order directly online from my site, Tracy M. Lewis, because I am independently published. Um, but if you prefer to go to your local bookstore, you can do that as well, and it's also available on Amazon.com. Awesome, awesome. 
Well, again, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. And with that being said, you have been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. We thank you all for joining us. Please log in later on, get the show, make a copy, send it out on MP3, burn it to DVD, get everybody listening to the show. Again, we thank you for joining us tonight, and we bid you good evening. God bless you all, and good night.